We're looking at the subject this morning, the hurt of betrayal. You notice in your bulletin outline that the first point is a counselor becomes an enemy. The account in 2 Samuel 15 of Ahithophel and David stands out before us as one of the most heinous betrayals in biblical history. But it certainly is not an isolated incident as we shall see. Verse 12 of our text says, While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilhol, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Verse 31 of our text says, Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And so David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. What a brilliant coup on Absalom's part. Think about it. He reached into David's kingdom and snatched away the one man in all of his realm whom David relied upon for solid, competent, military counsel in affairs of state. We read in 2 Samuel 16, verse 23, In those days the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God, and that was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. Wow. Ahithophel was viewed by both David and Absalom as, you know, when we talk to him, it's, as, as, it's, 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 like, it's like we're going to a prophet of God. It was not uncommon in biblical days for Israel's kings to inquire of the Lord concerning Decisions of state. No separation of religion and state back then. This is a theocracy ruled by God and his law. So when they made decisions concerning life and battle and all of those kind of things, they would consult with God's prophet. For example, when Jehoshaphat allied himself with Ahab of the northern kingdom, these two kings wanted to inquire how the next day's battle was going to turn out. They were facing a big fight. And Ahab received this glowing report from his false prophets. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go up to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hands. 2 Chronicles 18, verse 5. Jehoshaphat, the godly king of the southern kingdom of Judah, he was not so convinced. He sensed that 
these hired prophets were just telling Ahab what he wanted to hear. We read, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we may inquire of? Second Chronicles 18, verse 6. I see all your prophets, prophets of Baal. But what about prophet from God? Listen, Ahab knew of one, a prophet named Micaiah. But here's Ahab's view of him. And he's speaking to Jehoshaphat. Well, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of Jehovah. But I hate him because he never promises anything good about me, always bad. <laughs> and his name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Second Chronicles 18, verse 7. And there's the proof. I mean, there it is. Ahab had hired false prophets to tickle his ears because he could not bear to hear the truth told by Micaiah, God's true prophet. This, however, was not a problem with Ahithophel because, as we have read, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. And that was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. So what this verse is saying is that David, David did not question Ahithophel's advice. Absalom did not question Ahithophel's advice. Though not a prophet at all, both of these Men trusted Ahithophel as they would had he been. Had he been a prophet. His counsel, his counsel was that good. It was that insightful, we would say. He had proven himself time and time again as a man of wisdom and prowess and Brethren, there are people of the world that are like that. They're just sharp. They're good at um, reading the times, reading society, uh, ascertaining uh, you know, the best route to go if this or this or this is presented. And so when Ahithophel defected to Absalom, David knew he was in deep trouble. His chief advisor, his best military genius, had now betrayed him by becoming part of Absalom's conspiracy. What was he going to do? Think about it. What could he do? David's able advisor had now become Absalom's able advisor. David was devastated. To say the least, you would be too. It was inconceivable that his longtime counselor would now side with the conspiracy to overthrow his kingdom. And he reflects on this in Psalm 47, verse 9 and following, where we read this in David's writing. 
Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Listen to the way he says that. Even my, even my close friend. A more descriptive analysis of his anguish is found in Psalm 55, verse 9 and following, and here's what he writes there. Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throngs at the house of God. Evening, morning, noon, I cry out in distress, and God hears my voice. He ransoms, ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me, men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Do you, do you feel the pathos in David's heart as he thinks about the betrayal of Ahithophel? What could David do? Well, he did the only thing that he could do. And we have it in our text. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And so David prayed, O Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. We have it in Psalm 55, verse 9. Confuse the wicked, O Lord, confound their speech, for I see violence and strife in the city. The same kind of thought. Well, the conspiracy was in full bloom. Absalom had the lion's share of the warriors. Think about this. Ten northern tribes to David's two southern tribes. David knew he had to vacate Jerusalem or be slaughtered. He knew Ahithophel to be a wise and shrewd counselor in military matters. He knew Absalom, Absalom would imbibe whatever Ahithophel had to say. And so his only hope was in God. Yet, think about this, God plus one is more powerful than a whole army without God. And so 2 Samuel 17 verse 14 states, the Lord had determined, listen to this, the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster to Absalom. He had good advice, but God had determined to frustrate it. 
How's he going to do that? Well, we have a counselor that became an enemy. Now, secondly, we note a friend that becomes a counselor. How in the world was the counsel of Ahithophel going to be frustrated? I mean, everybody listened to his counsel with bated breath, hanging on every word, reverencing him as though he were a prophet of God, though he's not a prophet of God, believing that his advice came from God. You know, they all thought, well, you know, we certainly want God on our side as we go up against David. What then do you advise, Ahithophel? And you can see that by this time, most of Israel was convinced that David was no good for the kingdom anymore. So a change had to be made. Verse 12 and 13 of our text says, The conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. And the messenger came and told David, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Another blow. Well, you know, God had not rejected David as king. The people might be oscillating, thinking, we need a new guy here. Absalom's our man. So how was all this going to work out? Well, enter Hushai. David had to flee Jerusalem in haste and in disgrace, if we read the text right. The Bible tells us, verse 30 of our text, that he ascended the Mount of Olives, head covered, weeping as he went. But as he reached the summit, a man named Hushai met him. So he's going up the Mount of Olives, he's weeping as he goes. Covered head, which is a sign of mourning. And at the summit, he meets this guy named Hushai. Now, Hushai was more than a member of David's council. Verse 37 of our text calls him David's friend. David's friend. He wanted to go with David, but the king thought him a better help if he would return to Jerusalem and feign allegiance to Absalom. And in this way, he could inform David of any intrigue planned by Absalom and frustrate Ahithophel's counsel. Verse 37 of our text tells us that Hushai arrived back in Jerusalem just at the time when Absalom entered the city with his forces. In other words, David had escaped just in the nick of time. He makes it out and up the Mount of Olives, and out, and in comes Absalom with his troops. Well, Absalom lost no time in seeking the counsel of Ahithophel, which basically Ahithophel said this, you need to pursue David now, now, without delay. Strike while the iron's hot. David and his men are tired, they're hungry, they're weak from travel. Now, go get them. Take about 12,000 guys and get out there. Normally, now normally, Absalom would have acted upon that counsel without hesitation. 
But Hushai had made a strong case for coming to Absalom's aid. And so Absalom wanted to hear from him as well. I mean, think about that. Hushai. Absalom knew that Hushai was David's friend. So Hushai says something like this. Well, you know, as I've served your father, now I'm here to serve you. It's just kind of obvious that you're going to become the new king. I mean, your father had to flee. And he has just a handful of troops, and you've got all these that are the northern tribes that are supporting you. So anyway, Absalom says, well, okay, all right. Uh, Ahithophel says we need to go out there and attack him right now. What do you say, Hushai? And he gave opposite counsel. David is a scrapper, Hushai says. This you know, and what is more, he will not be found where you expect him to be found. He will be holed up somewhere in a cave, ready to pounce on anyone that pursues him. And when he does that, he will win. And when he wins, all of your support from the other ten tribes will begin to melt like snow. And we read, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai is better than that of Ahithophel. Wait, no, wait a minute. Why would Absalom be so quickly disposed to accept the advice of David's friend turned counselor? You see, he doesn't even seem to be suspicious of this turnabout in loyalty. Here's the answer. 2 Samuel 17, verse 14. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Guess whose advice was the better of the two? That verse tells me the advice that was the better of the two was Ahithophel's. But Absalom bought into Hushai's counsel because the Lord was working behind the scenes. And the rest is history. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel had been shunned, for Hushai's, he went home and hanged himself, our text says. And the next day, Absalom was killed in battle. And David's kingdom solidified once more. And those ten northern tribes got real scared. Because they had come that close to attacking the Lord's anointed. Now, brethren, history is strewn path of many betrayals. This is only one account of one betrayal that is recorded in the Bible. There are many, many more. David himself, think about this, commander-in-chief of Israel's army, betrayed a noble soldier, Uriah, by sleeping with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and then later orchestrating Uriah's death to conceal his sin. One does not expect the commander-in-chief to betray a foot soldier's loyalty and dedication. But it happens. It did happen. And David was the culprit. 
And by the way, this whole rebellion with Absalom is part of God's judgment on David for that sinful decision. Rebekah betrayed Isaac by deceiving him into blessing her favorite son Jacob over Esau for the family headship. You say, well, God was in that. God said Jacob was going to rule. Yeah, but Rebecca thought she had to help God along a little bit. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers out of jealousy as they sold him as a slave to Midianite traders passing by. And then when he got down into Egypt, he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife for being an honorable man who refused to fornicate with her. So he ended up in Pharaoh's prison, and he was betrayed in Pharaoh's prison by the cupbearer who forgot all about him instead of speaking up to Pharaoh for his release. Boom, 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 three strikes, you're out. Betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. That's Joseph's life for 11 years. Samson was betrayed by Delilah in retribution for all of Samson's masterful defeats of the Philistines, those that were the captives Captors of God's people. Betrayal. And then the greatest of all, Jesus was betrayed by Judas to his enemies who sought his life. But also by Peter, who denied him and any association with him, and also by all the disciples of whom we read, then everyone deserted him and fled. Mark 14, verse 50. No doubt fearful that they too would be arrested and tried and sentenced to death. So they thought, well, we better create some distance between us and Jesus. Paul could say, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. And when Paul's first hearing before Caesar's tribunal was set, we read at, that, at my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me, says Paul. May it not be held against them, 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. Betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Perhaps you have your own experience of betrayal. You could add your experience to the list. Most of us do. Life in our sinful world has not changed for the better in this area, and betrayal is one of the most hurtful experiences that we go through. My friend, my companion, did this to me. So that brings us to the second point in our outline, understanding betrayal and applying biblical healing. Observe firstly, the betrayal causes acute pain because it involves those who purport to be our friends. That's why it hurts us. Could David have ever imagined that Ahithophel, his longtime comrade in battle and in diplomacy, would ever abdicate his position of chief counselor to become the advisor of rebellious Absalom? I don't think that would ever have crossed his mind. Or again, could David have contemplated that Absalom, his own son, his own flesh and blood, would seek his life and his throne. 
inconceivable. It would appear that nothing is sacred, that the strings of loyalty are tied rather loosely for many people. Much of the sting of betrayal is the utter incredulity of it. I just can't wrap my head around this. I, I can't believe this. We're shocked. Not in the fact, not in the fact that an enemy has aimed his sights to destroy us, but that our friend has done this. You know, sometimes our friends are no better than those of Job, who allegedly came to sit with him in the dust and to comfort him in his physical and mental agony through their counsel. Yet in the end, Job said of them, I have heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. My opponent fastens on me his piercing eyes. Men open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to evil man and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked. Job 16, verse 2 and following. We read that and we say, that is a terrible thing to say about people who are trying to help you. And I respond, you know, it's a terrible thing to have to say that about people that are trying to help you. And yet such is often the case. This does not mean that we should be people who lie to one another to try to make people feel better. But Job was innocent of sin. They didn't have to lie. His friends' accusations were cruel. They were unwarranted. It was just their opinion. You must have done something terribly wicked. That's why you're suffering from the way you are. I would caution folks, be careful how you address your friends in their time of trouble. They do not need a scolding. They do not need, I told you so. They need to hear what Job says he would have done if the shoe had been on his foot. My mouth would encourage you. You see, truth can be spoken in love, and it must be spoken in love if there is to be any encouragement in it. We are commanded by the apostle. We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Yeah, you got to do that. Encourage 
the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14. Well, that wasn't Job's friends, but that's really what the guy needed. While Jesus knew all along the true nature of Judas and what he was up to, it was nevertheless a grief to him to confide in his, to his disciples. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scriptures. He who shares my bread has lifted up my heel against me. John 13, verse 18. And so you see that Ahithophel is a type of Judas or he did the same thing with David. It's a strange way to, to find betrayal, don't you think? He who shares my bread? But maybe not so strange after all. In my 50 years of ministry, it has often been the case that those I have helped the most, prayed for the most earnestly, met their physical and spiritual needs, counseled them in their dire distress. It's those who seem to have had no problem walking away to find greener pastures. They seem to have missed what Judas missed. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John 15 verse 13. The thing that makes betrayal hurt so bad is it's because it's your friends that betray you. That's what hurts. Not an enemy that has done this. David says that. He says, I could, I could handle an enemy. It's my friend. Secondly, Betrayal is hurtful because it sacrifices people for lesser things. Think about it. Did Ahithophel gain anything by betraying David for Absalom? I mean, before his defection, he was a respected military advisor. He was respected by both David and Absalom. After his defection, David, the friend of God, is praying against him? And Absalom prefers the counsel of Hushai over him? He's not promoted in his defection. He is demoted. He's not elevated in prestige and importance. He is disgraced. And sensing that shame, he goes home and ends his own life. Wow. Great advantage for betraying David. What did Joseph's brothers gain by selling Joseph to the Midianites as a slave? They faked his death. They fabricated the lie to their father to cover their sin. And many years later, standing before Joseph, whom they did not recognize, they were still guilt-laden for what they had done to Joseph and were now fearful that their own lives were in jeopardy under the vice-regent of Egypt who had discovered a stolen cup in their luggage. 
was betrayal a fitting outlet for their jealousy. Stephen in Acts 7 verse 9 as he rehearses the history says this, Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. They thought, oh, you know, we're going to wash our hands of this snot-nosed kid. Won't have to have him preaching us at us anymore. Won't have dad doting on him, giving him the lion's share of all the goodies. There's another word that sounds very much like jealous. Except for the first letter, which is a Z, zealous. By changing just the first letter, the word takes on a positive rather than a negative connotation. Jealous, a vice, becomes zealous, a virtue. Paul says it's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, and not just when I'm with you, Galatians 4, verse 18. In fact, in fact, God has redeemed us for this purpose. Again, Paul writing to Titus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now here's where things really become interesting. In the Greek text, the word for jealous and the word for zealous are one and the same word. No different. It's left to the context to determine how you're going to translate the term. That being so, Luke's analysis in Acts 7 verse 9 was that out of jealousy, Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. Their intent was evil, not good. They were jealous of Joseph because of Jacob's favoritism towards him. Remember that special robe? And because of those dreams Joseph had for telling his leadership over them in time. Oh, they couldn't abide that. You're going to be our boss in time? I don't think so. My question is, what might have happened had the vice been turned into a virtue. If instead of being jealous of Joseph, his brothers had been zealous for him. Instead of 11 years of angst and guilt for their trickery and their lies, had they been happy for Joseph that God was going to make him a great leader of their family, they could have spent those years in family harmony and peace and appreciation and love and thankfulness, just to name a few more graces which flow from being zealous for what is good. And are we not commanded in the scriptures, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Romans 12, verse 15 through 17. And again, if one part suffers, speaking of the body of the church, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 26. The betrayal of Joseph's brothers was due to the fact that they could not zealously approve of Joseph's favored position. We read in the scripture, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Genesis 37 verse 4. Betrayal was an easier course to take once the lesser trait of jealousy overpowered the virtue of being happy, being zealous for Joseph's good fortune. Brethren, how you spin the blessings, the fortunes, the character of others, if you think the best, that will go a long way in avoiding the sin of betrayal because Betrayal sacrifices people for lesser things. People don't become important. Pride's more important, or self-importance, or self-advancement, or prestige, or position. And on and on it goes. Money. All lesser things. Value the soul, first and foremost. Value that friendship. Thirdly, betrayal is hurtful because of the spiritual repercussions. This doesn't just hurt friendships, it hurts the soul. David ascending the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem was betrayed by Ahithophel, a trusted advisor, part of his cabinet, who in the end went home and hanged himself. And Jesus David's heir, yet David's Lord, ascending the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem, was betrayed by Judas, a disciple of the inner circle, who for 30 pieces of silver sold the master. And in the end concluded, I have betrayed innocent blood, Matthew 27, verse 4. And throwing the money on the temple floor, he went out and hanged him. These parallels are not incidental. When Ahithophel sided with Absalom against David, he also sided against God. David was the Lord's chosen, anointed king, not Absalom. And as always, it is a grievous sin to attempt to undo what the Lord has ordained. You remember that David's predecessor, King Saul, was rejected by God because of his flagrant disobedience to God's will. Saul then became jealous. And as a result, he became David's enemy and tried to kill him on a number of occasions. David became a man on the run, hiding in the caves and in the hills from King Saul. And in a number of the pursuits when Saul was asleep at night on one occasion or another occasion when he was in a cave. You didn't know David was hiding in the cave. 
On those occasions, David could have taken Saul's life. Think about it. He had opportunity. He had motive. Saul was determined to kill him. He had been duly anointed as the new king by the prophet Samuel. Thus he had God's approval as Saul's replacement. But time and time again, he refused to touch the Lord's anointed lest he play God by usurping from God what only God had the right to do. Hithophel's betrayal and opposition to God sealed his doom. And Jesus could say and did say, the Son of Man will go just as is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Matthew 26, 24, speaking of Judas. You see, to betray is um, it's to disown. It's to disassociate. It's to renounce what should be, should be believed and received and loved. And so Jesus says, Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Matthew 10, verse 33 and 34. Betrayal is so hurtful because of its great negative spiritual repercussions. Then lastly, betrayal is hurtful because it is destined to become the rule, not the exception. I hate to have to tell you this, but Jesus has predicted it. You may think that you have such a tight-knit family that nothing like betrayal would ever come knocking at your door. But the God who cannot lie predicts this. Brother will betray brother to death. A father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mark 13. Verse 12 and 13. Ahithophel had a decision to make. He chose the wrong side. You believers have a decision to make. Choose God over a family. And set a godly example. Or not. You unbelievers have a decision to make. Choose Christ and his salvation. The scripture says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But you can harden your heart. That would be your other decision. Hebrews 3, verse 15. Either that, or you could repent and call upon God to be your savior come and to eradicate your sin. 
John tells us of the people of Jesus' day, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Not good. Decision. John 1.12. Instead, about 30 years later, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They betrayed the only Savior the world has. None else can heal the breach between you and God. They need to come to Christ and be reconciled to him. You have a decision to make. You're faced with choices in life all the time. Choose wisely. Choose right. May the Spirit of God draw you to repentance of your sin, to faith into Jesus. He's the only Savior. It's the only way out of the mess that we're in. You're not promised a new Cadillac and a mansion by a lake. and You're not promised any of that. What you're promised is forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, and life eternal. And what is your life of what? 80, 90 years down here? Compared to eternity, 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 where time never ends, never ends, never ends, goes on and on. You can either be with God in glory or in destruction in hell's fire. Choose right. Choose right. The day's coming, brethren, sad to say, when betrayal will be the rule, not the exception. And you'll be scratching your head like David. What did I ever do to such and such? That they, he, she, would do this to me. And the answer will be this. Jesus said they will hate you because you love me. That's what. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be. Be what? Be a believer, a follower in Christ. And that will bring out the animosity and the hatred. Because when you live for Christ, when they oppose you, they're opposing the God that you love and serve. Father, send your spirit to teach us something of the hurt of betrayal, but not only so, but the healing for it. While we know that we live in a sinful world where this exists, Lord, grant to us right decisions. Help us not to choose things over people. Help us to be friends to the end. And if we get in a tiff with one another, help us to be forgiving. Help us to understand the sinfulness of our own hearts. Help us to maintain the friendship over hurt feelings. For any that are outside of Jesus today, this is the friend of sinners. This is the only friend that can help us. I pray that you'll draw them to you. Grant them faith and repentance today. Help them make wise choices. For the glory of Jesus, for their own good, we pray these things. Amen.